Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. And uh, we want to continue, if you want to go uh, very quickly to the book of Ephesians chapter uh, 4, is where we'll begin. Uh, Ephesians 4, and uh, this has been our foundation scripture, and uh, I believe that uh, we're uh, getting into some things that uh, the Lord really wants us to see, and uh, this, this is so important that we just stay along the lines of what God is, is wanting us to get into and to see because it's moving us forward, and Ephesians 4 And, of course, uh, we've been staying there with verse 25 uh, through uh, 27. He said, Wherefore, putting away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. He said, Be angry and sin not, neither let the sun go down on your wrath. And then the, the reason for this is emphasized here, neither give place to the devil. Uh, give him no opportunity for acting. An occasion for acting is what the Woost Bible says. And so we see here that Paul is saying that we can deny the enemy a uh, place of action in our life or an opportunity or a loophole or a foothold. Now, this is so important because, uh, and I've said this over and over again in this series, but it bears, in my mind, much repetition. The devil does not come to you like the world and Hollywood and fantasy movies have depicted him. All right, he, he doesn't come, and, and we've seen he's a fallen one. Uh, uh, the book of Colossians says that Jesus exposed him empty, shattered, and defeated. All right, but here's the point. The reason I'm saying this is he doesn't come in that way that he's depicted. All right, he comes through the mode of deception. All right, he's trying to deceive. He understands that the only way that he can keep a believer in ignorance is if he deceives them. All right, in order to exert any authority, He has to keep them in ignorance. And the way he does that is to deceive. And so deception is not something that is uh, overt. All right? It's not something that's just right out in your face. It is deceptive. It is deceptive. All right? It's trying to make you think that something is or something isn't, that something is what it isn't or something isn't isn't what it is, all right? In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, we see that in the beginning, in the very beginning, deception was his tool because Paul's writing to the church here uh, and uh, he makes a statement. 
in uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 14. He says, And Adam was not, notice here's the word, Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So he had to deceive Eve, which ultimately means to delude her thinking. All right? Which the word delude means to mislead the mind or the judgment. All right? So when someone says about a certain thing, well, I was misled there, that they mean I was deceived. My thinking was deluded. It was deception. And deception has to do with the mind. It has to do with the thinking. It has to do with the judgment, all right, of an individual. And what happened was the devil had to deceive Eve in order to get her to influence her husband. All right? In order to get her to influence Adam, he had to deceive her. Now, this isn't about placing blame. All right? It, the, the focus here is on the deception. All right, the enemy had to come with deception. It says that Adam was not deceived. It says that he knowingly partook of the fruit. Eve was deceived, deluded, led astray. All right, remember, to mislead the mind or the judgment. Now, his mode of operation from the beginning of mankind was deception, was deception. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. How did he do this? The mode of his mode of operation from the beginning was deception. All right? In Genesis chapter 3, and uh, we'll look at a couple of verses here, verse 4 and 5. The more we look at it, the more knowledge we gain. And uh, this is where the enemy, in the form of the serpent, had come to the woman, to Eve, and beginning in verse 4, notice he says, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Then verse 5, For God knows in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, I want you to see how he starts out. Verse 1, has God said? Has God said? Okay, we're opening up the door for deception. Has God said? In other words, there's a question now. Did God really say that? I've had people say that to me about certain things. Well, I know that's what the, what the Bible says, but is that what it really means? Well, I mean, it really means what it said. 
it really means what it said. And the enemy came and he said, as God said, that's deception. Whenever any thought in your mind begins to question what God said, recognize it as deception and get away from it. Recognize it as deception and get away from it. It can be something like, well, you know, is it always God's will to heal? Get away from that. Recognize that as deception and get away from it. Why? It's questioning what God said and thereby questioning the truth. Questioning the truth. Amen. And when I say questioning the truth, I don't mean asking a question about the truth for further illumination. I mean questioning the truth with the purpose of deceiving. And then he said, notice, the woman answered him and said, you know, God said well, you shouldn't eat of that tree. And then in verse 5 he said, Here's why he said that. Because God knows that in the day you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. So what he's saying is God's hiding something from you. He's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to eat of that tree because He knows that when you do, you'll get an enlightenment. You'll get more knowledge. And God is hiding something from you. There's something He doesn't want you to know. That's deception. That's deception. That you'll hear it like this, and it's couched in, in many times in tones of kindness, but nonetheless, it's still that way. Well, you know... Uh, they're just, God has a plan that we don't know about. That's deception. It's ignorance and deception. Well, I know things didn't work out for you this time, but, uh, you know, God must have a plan. That's deception. That, that, is, that is causing me to move over into a situation where I don't trust what God said because it may or it may not come to pass depending on what plan God has. Amen. I remember one time, this is very vivid in my memory, I remember one time that, uh, of course, my father and mother uh, pastored in the state of Florida for a number of years. My uh, dad's in heaven today. But uh, they, uh, if I remember correctly, I, rem I remember the scenario correctly. I don't remember uh, I believe they were attending the funeral of uh, a little girl, maybe 12 or 13 years old, 11, 12 years old, that had died uh, in an automobile accident. And uh, to the best of my memory, the, the individual that was involved on the other side was, was uh, intoxicated. And the minister told that family that God needed another flower in his garden, so he took their daughter. Now, we know that that's blatantly wrong. But ultimately, what was the result? Deception. 
how is that family ever going to really trust God again if they believe God killed their child or allowed their child to be killed? See, religion has been used by the devil to deceive. And so someone will step out and, 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 and begin to move into something in the Word and begin to stand on it. And, and, and maybe something didn't go the way they thought it was going to go or, they, or they're, they're having to stand in faith. It's not happening as quick as they thought. And somebody will come along and say, well, maybe it just wasn't God's will. Well, obviously, and I'm not going to take the time to, to, to belabor this issue, but if I find it in the Word and I see it in the Word, I know it's God's will. The deception comes in in that maybe what I saw in the Word is not His will. How then can I ever trust God again? Because I don't know if it's His will or not. Even if I see it in the Word, I don't know. See, that's deception. And the enemy keeps multiplied hundreds of thousands, millions of people in bondage. Believers, I'm talking about believers, because they're deceived into thinking what God said in His Word is not always His will. And so God's will for Adam and his wife, Eve, was don't eat of that tree. And the reason was, in the day that you do, you'll die spiritually, and that will ultimately end your life physically. But what the enemy do? The deceiver, the fallen one, the liar... He turned it to say, this is all about God. God doesn't want you to know something. You see? And that's deception. And this did two things. First of all, it caused Eve to question God. She looked at that tree different. When, when you begin to question something... And again, not questioning for information or for more revelation, but questioning what was said. God said, don't eat the tree, and here's why. You'll die spiritually. Now, from all indications, that settled it for them until this point. But now, he says, there's something God's hiding from you. And that tree looked totally different now. Why? Because things look different through deception. Things look different through deception. Somebody can, can, can try to deceive you into doing something, and they will paint the end result so beautiful and so bright, even though they know it's not going to be that way. But they will paint it beautiful and bright, and everything looks different through their deception, different from what it really is. That tree was going to result in death and separation from God, yet he painted it as something to be desired and something that somehow God was trying to keep them from. And it says that's when she began to look at it that way, that it was a tree to be desired and something to be wanted. So it caused her to question God and it placed her at odds with God and His Word. 
it placed her in an adversarial position concerning God and His Word. Now, she's thinking against God. Hallelujah. The more you question God, the darker it gets. Right? The more you question, the darker it gets. Well, why'd this happen? And how come this happened? What happened? And how come? And, and I don't understand. And I just don't know. And, and I don't understand. And I don't know. Well, what's happening? Less understanding and less wisdom and less knowledge is coming. And more darkness is showing up. I, I remember one time, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And, and I'm here saying, you know, I'm the man that wrote First Words Matter, Last Words Stand. <clears throat> and uh, I was just facing some issues. I, 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 I didn't feel like myself or, or whatever the case may be. And, and I told my wife one morning, I said, I just, I, I don't have any energy. I just don't understand. I just don't have any energy. And she made a statement to me that, that just resonated in my spirit. She said, you are making a statement as something that is permanent. Not something that is just up till now. And I saw it. I saw it. That what I should have said was up till this point, I just haven't had any energy. Right? See, it's not just... It's not just uh, words in the sense of phrases, it, 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 is, it is, Scripture says that your own words can deceive your heart. Right? And so the more you question, the more you say, I just don't understand. Why is this happening? I just don't, I just don't. That's deception working. Because the more you question God, the darker it gets. The more Eve thought on the question, the more deceived she became. And, and that's why it works so effectively for the enemy. Is because, is because very often those questions come and they're not overtly against the things of God. But it may be something like this. Well, you know, somebody will give a testimony about a financial breakthrough. And a thought will come to your mind. Well, you've been given and you haven't seen anything like that. But see, you need to learn to respond real quick with a yet. I haven't seen it yet. But because I've given, it's coming. Right? Because I've sowed, I'm going to reap. Hallelujah. To imply that God's hiding something from you is to imply that God's lying. Amen. Now I want to be very careful here. Eve being tempted here to be deceived wasn't the sin. She's right in the middle of a temptation. At any point, she can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get into that and walk away. Amen. So being tempted or not telling someone that you've been tempted is not deception. It's doing something and then lying about it or lying about something to get someone to do something. That's deception. 
If you did it, you did it. Tell your neighbor, if you did it, you did it. Right? Hallelujah. That, that, that's important. But here is the situation. When the enemy implies that God's hiding something from you, he's saying God's lying to you. And those statements are designed to deceive. Well, God must have a purpose in what you're going through. After all, we don't know. His ways are above our ways. We're just finite human beings. We don't have the knowledge of God. And we'll understand it better by and by. Well, that is to imply that God knows something that He's not willing to share with me concerning what I'm going through Yet Scripture says, if I lack wisdom in any area, if I ask God, He'll give me that wisdom. Whew. God cannot be the withholder of wisdom and the giver of wisdom. He's got to be one or the other. And there are people that will quote the Scripture. Well, the secret things belong to God. They do. The secret things belong to God. The things that God does not choose to share, they belong to God. But my friend, my family, there will always be an answer to the question that I have. Hallelujah. It may not always be the answer I want. I may hear, well, that was your fault. You did this. Or it may be ignorance or whatever. But the point is, is that God is not hiding anything from us. And the statements that the enemy made are designed to deceive. God's instruction, notice, was designed to protect. He was hiding nothing. He was completely up front when he said, the day you eat of that tree is the day you're going to die. I think that's pretty plain. Right? It was like when I was growing up, my mother would say, if you touch that, I'm going to whoop you. And sure enough, more often than not, I touched it. Or whatever it was. And true to her word, boy, she whooped me. Not very often, but a few times. Well, that shouldn't have surprised me. God was up front with what he said. The day you eat of that tree, you will die. And Satan's statement obscured and covered what God had said. Well, yeah, God said that, but here's why God said that. He knows that when you eat of it, something's going to happen he don't want you to know about. Lies, deception, that's how he operates. Notice in Matthew 26... I, I, I wanted to get here uh, in a couple of the other services and wasn't able to. But praise the Lord we get to tonight. And uh, verse 6. And this is when... Uh, Jesus was in uh, Bethany, 
it says the house of Simon the leper, evidently a man that had been a leper that had been healed. And it says there came a woman to him, and, and we'll read it in John. Uh, John says that this was Mary. There came a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? This ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. So Matthew states that disciples were indignant. That word indignant means very displeased. Now there's a lot of questions that rise up with this. And they called what Mary had done for Jesus a waste. A waste. Now think about that. This is Jesus. The Son of God. Right? And she comes and pours this very precious ointment on his feet. And they said, what is this waste? The Roost Bible says, what is this dead loss? In other words, that's just a total loss. Because the, the container has been broken. The contents have been poured out. Uh, it cannot be put back in there. This, this is just a dead loss. Well, I, I, I want to ask you a question. You know, who was this done for? Jesus. That begs the question. Is anything then that's done for Jesus a waste? Or dead loss? No. No. Not at all. Now, I'm showing you deception. Jesus is the Word, according to John 1. So then we could say this. Anything that we do for the Word is never a waste. But yet the enemy will try, try to deceive people, and I've watched him do it. He'll try to deceive people. Well, you know, uh, you're working too hard in the ministry, and... and and, 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 you know, uh, somehow you're going to lose something if you give that much time to the church or you give that much time to what God's called you to do. But you're doing it for the Word. It will never be a waste. Jesus said in Mark 10, He said, if you do anything, leave any of these things for my sake, and the Gospels, you'll receive in this life a hundredfold. So that means nothing is a waste. But the enemy will try to deceive people into getting offended at God, getting offended at the church, getting offended at the Word. And what they're doing is producing a hundredfold in their life. But the enemy will come and say, well, that's a waste. That's a waste. Hallelujah. I've heard stories of people, families, husbands, wives, different, different ones. I've, I've heard wives praying their husband into the kingdom and then get upset because he wanted to do everything at church. I, I don't understand. 
When, when, he, when he was off running around the world, all they wanted him to do was be in church. And now he's in church and giving his life to the kingdom of God, and they don't want him to be in church so much. That's deception. That's deception. Because what got him free and is keeping him free is what he's doing in the church. Hallelujah. And that's why, let me say this. When a person, when you make a mistake, if you miss the mark, the very place you need to run to is the church. The very place you need to run to is the house of God, where brothers and sisters can help you, where the Word of God can build you up and edify you. It's never a waste. I say it's never a waste. That's deception. That's deception. Well, you work awful hard in that church, and, and you know, uh, I, uh, uh, I don't even know if anybody appreciates you. Wait a minute, hang on. You're not doing it for the praise of men. You're doing it for God and His church. Amen. Now, now, now I believe in being appreciative, but I heard a minister say something one time, and it just, it really blessed me, and we need mind renewal in this area. He said that he'd been on the road traveling a lot well I'll tell you who it was his brother Keith Moore and he said he'd been traveling a lot and that he got back and they were replacing they were putting down carpet and and remodeling and doing the things in the building they're in and he said I went to see how things were going and he said I saw people painting and and uh, uh, I saw people you know working on carpet and different things and he said I was walking around and I would stop and talk to people and say boy I sure appreciate you helping and appreciate you helping out and he said, I told three or four or five people that. And he said, I told one person that. And as I was walking away, the Lord said, stop that. And he said, I said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, stop that. He said, uh, if uh, somebody that you knew was out mowing their own front yard, would you go to him and say, boy, I sure appreciate you mowing your yard? He said, well, no. He said, this is their church. This is where, what they call their church. They should be involved in what's going on in their church. Now, understand, overall, we appreciate it. We appreciate the help. But understand this. Don't be deceived. It's our church. It's not just my church. This is not just Philip Michelle's church. This is our church. We're all releasing faith for what God wants to do. We're all releasing faith for our new buildings and our new lands. We're all releasing our faith. This is important because the enemy will come and say, well, nobody appreciates you. Well, what's the answer to that? Whether anybody appreciates me or not, I'm not doing it for the man or the woman or the people, I'm doing it for God. Amen. That, that's so important. And so these disciples, the disciples could not see that she had wrought a good work on Jesus and didn't care about the cost. Oh, glory. Do you see that? See, see, see that deception? Hallelujah. 
any time <laughs> those thoughts start coming, I'm not appreciated. Nobody cares. Nobody notices anything I do. That's self-pity. And I heard Brother Hagin say one time, any time that you have thoughts of self-pity, the devil's talking to you. And you know, I found that to be true. Because as a pastor, <laughs> I don't know if I ought to just bear all my cards, but as a pastor, I, I had to overcome this early on in my ministry. Because, uh, uh, you know, you can just, Lord, help me say this right. It is possible if you let it try to sneak in there, well, you know, they don't appreciate what we're doing. You know, I mean, here we are, and I'm studying, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking God, and, and, and hearing from God, you know, and then I come to church, and four people sleeping, you know, people up and down, running in and out. Well, I mean, I'm not advocating sleeping in church or getting up and running out, of, out in and out four or five times a service. But here's the thing. If the focus can shift to those people on the front row that are sitting on the edge of their chair, listening for every bit of revelation that's coming forth, my Lord, my Lord, that ends it. Because in any group, in any congregation, you're going to have people that are more or less involved. You appreciate everybody, you appreciate everything, and you remember that you're standing behind that pulpit because God has called you to do that, and God has called you to those people, and you have a responsibility to put the word out there, even for the people that aren't listening, and for what reason? So they will have no excuse. It was going on in their church. See, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Oh, glory. In John 12, John chapter 12. And uh, verse 3. This is the same account. John gives a little more detail. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now notice, this, in my opinion, is the beginning of Judas' deception. We, we can see from his response, it may have happened a little earlier, but it's starting to come to a head. He's starting to show how deceived he is. How do we know? He became offended because something good was done for Jesus. 
That is evidence of deception. You know what scripture says? It says when someone else is rejoicing, rejoice with them. Hallelujah. I was sitting there in church, and that person gave that financial testimony, and, 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 and you know, I mean, when's God going to come through for me? I mean, I'm believing too. And, now, wait a minute, that's deception. That thought didn't come from God. Oh, glory. What do you do? Boy, when somebody's shouting glory to God, God brought us out of debt. God canceled debts. God did this. God did that. God brought us out. And you're, standing, you're sitting there and it hadn't happened for you yet. You should get up and raise your hands and rejoice because you're thinking it hadn't happened to me yet, but it's on the way. That's evidence. Remember? Remember the story? I'm standing there with my little girl and I'm way at the back of the line. We're at the amusement park. We're getting the family something to eat, right? And we're way at the back of the line. And you'd hear at the front of the line, next, and we'd all move up. We're still at the back of the line. But then we'd hear, next, and we'd all move up. Hallelujah. You know, eventually, I just stayed with it. And eventually I heard, next, and I was right there. Why are you shouting? Why are you rejoicing? Number one, you're not deceived. Number two, you know you're next. I'm moving up in the line. I'm moving up in the line. What God has promised you will surely come to pass. Don't be deceived into being offended because something good happened to someone else. It shows us here where his heart was, on the money, not on Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, uh, we have some sharp brothers here in the church, both churches, sharp, dress sharp, nice shoes, nice, nice suits, nice watches. And, and you know, I've been around when, when the brothers are talking. And you might hear this, whoo, that's sharp shoes, or sharp watch, or sharp suit. You know what you never hear? How much that costs you. Nobody cares. Who cares how much it costs? I don't care how much you spend on that. That is sharp. Praise God, that's a blessing. Right? Because, because there are young men in our church, older men in our church, young women, older women, they are looking at the blessing of God in your life and they're watching the way you do things so that they can produce the same results in their life. Don't ever, don't ever get offended because somebody got blessed. That's deception. It's deception. Oh, glory. And uh, in John 13, verse 1, it says... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Uh, 
The Wish Bible says, and supper, being in progress, the devil having already hurled into the heart of Judas with a force so that it stayed there to betray him. The Weymouth translation says, while supper was proceeding, the devil having by this time suggested to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, the thought of betraying him. I was discussing this with my wife one time with Pastor Michelle. And I said, uh, I know the scripture says he, he put it in his heart. I said, but it carries this idea of, of a thought. And she made the statement to me. She said, well, how does the devil get something in your heart? He gets it in your mind first with the thought. And then sure enough, I, I found these other translations, the thought of betraying him. So in order to get something in our heart, he has to first get it in our thoughts. Now, how long he pressured Judas in his mind, we don't know. But we do know this. He did it until he eventually began to think on it. And from there, it was just a matter of time until he yielded to it. Until he yielded. Now, this is really where I wanted to get to tonight. He will pressure you until you yield. Now, again, when, when I talk about yield, I mean you're going all in. Not the temptation came and, and, and you started or you looked that way or you went that direction. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you went all in. That's yielding. All right? This is so important. In uh, Proverbs 7.21, and it may seem like it's a, uh, a uh, scripture that is not completely in line with what we're saying, but it shows us the mode of operation. It shows us how these things operate. Proverbs 7.21, it talks about the, 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 the wicked woman, the harlot woman, and it talks about her pressuring this young man. And it says in Proverbs 7.21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. To yield. This tells us something. This young man was there. The pressure was being put on him. But until verse 21, he had not yet yielded. He wasn't all in. But notice, if you read that whole chapter, she tells him all these things. My husband's gone. He's taken a lot of money. He won't be back for a few days. Uh, my bed is perfumed. I have sacrifices. I have meat offerings. In other words, that the, the refrigerator's full. The bed is ready. Uh, right? My husband's gone. All these things, all these things. And it's just this constant pressure on his mind until he yielded. And Scripture says when he yielded, that he went after her like an ox going to the slaughter. 
just followed her down the road. But what preceded that? A constant mental bombardment to get him to yield. Hallelujah. See, the temptation, the Bible says this. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. James talked about temptation, and he said that people sin when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. Drawn away. So the, the moment of temptation, and, and you've got to understand temptation in the context of what we're talking about. It's not just uh, in one certain area. You can be tempted to disbelieve God, tempted to be offended, tempted to be uh, sinfully angry. Well, here's the issue. The thought, of the thought of offense may come to you. Don't yield to it. Don't yield to it. Get away from it. Well, you know, but there for a moment that, you know, that offense came and I was a little bit offended, but I repented. Then you didn't yield. You got away from it. Hallelujah. I was dealing with a group of men one time, and I said, I said, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of temptation nowadays for uh, uh, brothers to look at things and look at things on the Internet. It's so uh, available that they shouldn't. I said, here's what you got to do. You got to understand that if you sat down and you typed in a certain thing and you were looking for a certain thing, but you caught yourself and you said, nope, I'm not doing it. You won. You won. You got the victory. Because you didn't yield. Oh, glory. In uh, Judges, and you don't have to turn there. I'll give you the reference. Judges 16. If you read through Judges 16, it's as one, two, three, four, five times that Delilah came to Samson and asked him, what's the source of your strength? And Samson would, effectively, he would lie to her. And then the next day, she'd come back. Well, this is a picture of the enemy. Finally, in uh, verse 16 of Judges 16, it said she pressed him daily until she grieved his soul. And you know what happened that day? He told her the source. But what preceded that? When did he yield? What preceded that yielding? Constant pressure on his mind to tell her the source of his strength. Now see, when you recognize this, you'll step up and rise up and put an end to that. Because we're recognizing it. Hallelujah. And there were things, of course, that uh, the enemy will come with. Judas was so deceived, he gave no thought to what he was going to lose. No thought. 
You don't have to turn there. You can write it down. Acts 1, 16 through 17. The Woos Bible says he was numbered among us and received his portion of this ministry. Think about that. Now, now I know that we're a part of the present day ministry of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see something. Think about this for a moment. He was a part and had a portion of the ministry when Jesus was revealing himself to the world. The Weymouth translation says, For Judas was reckoned as one of our number, and a share in this ministry was allotted to him. The Passion says, He was one of us, and he was chosen to be an apostle just as we were. He was personally chosen by Jesus. Personally chosen. Revelation 21, 14. It says, The city has 12 foundations in which are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Judas' name would have been on one of the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. When we get to the New Jerusalem, we would have walked by one of those foundation stones and saw Judas Iscariot. Wow. Jesus told the disciples, there's 12 of them, that they would sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas would have had one of those thrones. Hmm. But instead, he's remembered as a traitor and a thief. You know, nobody names their kid Judas. That's important. Because that name has become synonymous. When... For, for instance, nobody names their child Benedict Arnold because he's remembered as a traitor, a turncoat. But Judas had a part of the ministry. He did miracles, signs and wonders. He saw the dead raised. He saw Jesus walk on water. He was in the boat. He saw the water turn to wine. He was there. He saw it. He participated in it. And yet, he was deceived. Oh, glory. Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, because the question is, okay, what do we do? Ephesians 6, 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, wherewith you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles is strategy. But here's the word, deceit, trickery. So he says, when I put on the armor of God, I can stand against this. This is important. The strategy of the devil, his deceit, his trickery. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be tricked. Oh, glory. Because why? We're able to stand against it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth about receiving this man that they had put out and he had repented. And Paul said, bring him back. And he said, and forgive him. And he said this, here's why. Because we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not ignorant of his thoughts. This is what devices mean. Or his purposes. Remember, we've talked about it through this whole message. We know that his thought or his purpose is to deceive. To pave a road into our mind through thoughts and ultimately deceive us. That's his goal. Oh, glory to God. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 tells us something. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. The Woos Bible says, Demolishing reasonings and every haughty mental elevation which lifts up itself against the experiential knowledge which we as believers have of God and leading captive every thought into the obedience to the Christ. So when deceptive thoughts come, our assignment is demolish them. Slap them down. Don't listen to them. Amen. Now, I, I, I can preach this effectively because of the Holy Spirit, but I can preach this effectively too because I've had to live it. Anybody that walks in victory has had to live this. Because that's how the enemy works. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? How about this? And, and what about this? And you ought to do this and you ought to do that. You've got to not listen to that and slap it down. Don't entertain it. Don't even entertain it for a moment. There are things in my life I will not even entertain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't think on them. We slap them down. Brother Hagin said this. I'll say it in closing. Brother Hagin said this. He said, when you resist anything of the devil, you're resisting the devil. When you resist the devil's thoughts, you're resisting the devil. When you resist the devil's actions, you're resisting the devil. Hallelujah. And as we're wrapping this up, remember, this is so important. Excuse me. We don't know how long he pressured Judas. (coughs) But he kept pressing until he got him deceived. That's why the scripture tells you and I that there's a litmus test that we put those thoughts through. Whatever things are pure. Whatever things are holy. Whatever things are of a good report, if it's, if it's praiseworthy or thankworthy, think on those things. Think on those things. Hallelujah. I believe God. And I believe that the more we, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the more that we go down this road of revelation, the harder it's going to be for the enemy to have any inroad into our lives. Any. 
Because we're moving into our increase. We're moving into our place of more. Hallelujah. <coughs> and when you look around the ministry, you can see it. More people, more help, more finances. I, I saw something the other day, and, and it was just a, a video clip of our president that blessed me so much. Because, you know, he had been discharged from Walter Reed Hospital there. And he was back at the White House. And he made this statement. He said, uh, you know, I feel, feel good, feel everything's great. And then he made this statement. <clears throat> he said, here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't be afraid of coronavirus. That's what he said. And he said, don't let it stop you from living your life. Now, I'm not just talking about the virus. I'm talking about the thinking. I'm talking about the thinking. Don't be afraid of it. I got, be safe. Be smart. Don't be afraid. Why? Because we're, we're, we're moving on. The enemy wants to deceive people into thinking this is the end, whatever you're going through, whatever you have went through. But I'm telling you, if you'll slap that down, put it through the litmus test. Is that good and pure and holy and just of a good report? If it's not, I'm not listening. I'm not listening to it. Why? It's deception. Hallelujah.